Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the GM Shuffle. The biggest problem with the weekend is the inconsistencies of how they call the games from wildcard weekend, divisional weekend, to this weekend. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos, as always. And Michael, we are down to two teams. The Super Bowl is set. We'll get into that matchup and give our early thoughts on what we think of the Super Bowl, but we got to start with our thoughts on Championship Sunday, the day that was. And it started off with a bizarre game with the Eagles and the Niners, so let's put that one on the shelf and let's begin our discussion with Bengals and Chiefs in the AFC title game. Cincinnati falls to Kansas City 23-20, and it had a bizarre ending and a compelling ending in this game here, but uh, your thoughts on the Chiefs going back to the Super Bowl after uh, losing this game a year ago? You, you know, I, I thought the whole weekend uh, was somewhat revealing. I, I'm not sure any of the four teams played well. Like, no. I, I think, I think if you just look over from the landscape of the weekend, I think you could see there was deficiencies in in most team in every team. You know, people will say, well, the Eagles, you know, they won. They played great. Okay. You know, they gained like 270 yards in 70 plays. I mean, like, that they, that wasn't nobody – in, nobody in the Philly organization thinks they played their best that day. But they, it was good enough to win. Same thing with Kansas City. I thought that. So, I, I thought it was the, – the second game was entertaining. The first game was disappointing. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's going to cry about the officials. Everybody think that's on the take. I, I think to me <laughs> – there's way more to that than meets the eye. What I have the biggest problem with the weekend is the inconsistencies of how they call the games from wild card weekend, divisional weekend, to this weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the penalties in some of these games that on the passing and fair calls, we didn't see that in the first two weekends. The, there was a huge disparity of inconsistencies. There was a mentality in the first couple we- playoff weekends of let them play. This weekend, we're going to be involved, fellas. And this is what the league gets for being involved. We got a disaster game from Ron Tolbert. We got a, you know, we got a, a game where one team gets seven penalties. You wonder why those players were fighting at the end of the game? You know why? 
the frustrations of the calls that they didn't get that everything went against them, not why they lost. But so I, I think that was my take of it as I sat back and reflect after after the game, you know, and, and look, th- these are the two number one seeds. Mm-hmm. They're the two best teams all year in the league. They deserve to play one another. Let's just hope they're both healthy enough to play one another. That's going to be the big thing over these next couple of weeks here, especially with Kansas City and the injuries that we saw. Patrick Mahomes was out there with the high ankle sprain. Maybe it was a mild ankle sprain. Who knows what it was? But I thought he looked pretty good. I don't know how you could call it a high ankle sprain it, it, when he's no out way. there in five. I mean, there's no way. Like I, I don't know. We need a. We need a like. A, this is a high ankle sprain. You know, like it, it, it was an ankle sprain that's a little bit up on his ankle. Let's call it that. Yeah. I mean, like, what? How can we call it that? I mean, the, I mean, unless he's got a cape and he wears an S across his chest. I mean, I, it hindered him. There's no doubt. I mean, it hindered him. Mm. There's no doubt. But what hindered him more, I thought, was their offensive line really not doing a good. That that chief line. I gotta tell you this, Femi. That chief line is really overrated. They're they're overpaid mm. and overrated. Uh-oh. You know, Orlando Brown's not an. He's not a franchise left tackle. Wiley's not a very good right tackle. Mm-hmm. And the inside interior, they paid a lot of money for Tooney, and they drafted Humphrey and Smith. But th- those guys didn't protect like they needed to protect. They protected enough, but not like they needed. Yeah, that, that's going to be one of the bigger storylines. And when we give our early thoughts on the Super Bowl and how this game might play out in a couple of weeks over there in Glendale. But this Chiefs-Bengals game, it, it was like most Chiefs-Bengals game. It was close, down to the wire. Unfortunately, a lot of the discussion is Joseph Osai, who had the late hit on Patrick Mahomes out of bounds there on the final drive of the game. Osai had been awesome throughout the game. I mean, his name kept popping up as like, hey, a tackle by Joseph Osai, tackle for loss, or pressure by Joseph Osai. And then, unfortunately for him, it comes down to that final play where he makes the mistake. And it was a massive mistake to put the Chiefs in field goal range. Harrison Butker ends up making the 45-yard field goal. But uh, here's what Zach Taylor had to say about that Joseph Asai play because he was obviously shaken up and emotional after the game, biggest game of his life, and for it to come down to that. But Taylor had this to say on that late hit that ended up resulting in the Chiefs winning the game. It didn't come down to that. You know, there was a lot of other plays that um, we just missed out on, and, and they made one more play than we did. That's hard. You know, this is emotional. We worked really hard to get here, and, um, you know, any, any play that uh, people feel like is left out there, you're, you're going to take it hard. And that, that's – we want guys like that, that this means a lot to. They care about it, care about their teammates. Um, Joseph's, Joseph Joseph's comes to work every day, man. He loves ball. He loves being a part of this team, and uh, it didn't come down to that play. Yeah, it didn't. I mean, it didn't come down to that play. I mean, I mean, it's the it's it's the it's the obvious, right? So, mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that I believe is the secret to all victory lies in the organization of the non obvious. So, what what is the non obvious, right? And there's a lot of debate about what is the non obvious. And when you listen to the broadcast, they don't know what the non obvious is. But I'm going to give you a non obvious right now. Mm-hmm. You got fourth and fifteen. Okay, Burrow just got sacked. Kansas City called their last time out. 41 seconds left to go. If you're a head coach, you tell your punter, you tell your special teams, I want this fucking ball punted out of bounds. I don't want them returning it. I don't give a shit. I want it out of bounds. Mm-hmm. I want the ball out of bounds. What do they do? They, they fucking hit, drive it down the middle of the field. So the, the only play, the only way the Chiefs could move it 30 yards is with their return game because that offense wasn't going 30 yards. And Moore takes it 20, 29 yards. And so then he gets, you know, then the next play he throws for six yards. They call their last time out. And 
you know, if that punt didn't happen, if he don't put it down the middle, if he punts it out of bounds and the ball lands on his own, you know, 30-yard line or the Chiefs 34, they're not going to score. They, they, can't, they can't protect well enough to be able to score. So that's mm-hmm. not obvious. I've said it when the Jets played. Last play, they punted it down the middle of the field. Like, why is it so hard for people to understand that the reason you have directional punters, every punter can move the ball to the right, to the left, or down the middle. And that's a situation you can't allow the ball to hit, be punted down the middle of the field. Like, it's it's obvious to me. It's not obvious to everybody else. Like, nobody mentioned it on the broadcast. You can't punt it down the middle of the field. Like, that's a violation. Then everyone, Zach Taylor's a great head coach. Is he really? Well, why did he let the ball get punted down the middle of the field if he's such a great head coach? It's an, I'm asking yeah. you, like, how it's, is he no, a great head coach if he lets that happen? It's an egregious mistake, and, and it's letting the details slip through the cracks as far as I'm concerned there with Zach Taylor. And yeah, I, because we evaluate Zach Taylor. People evaluate Zach Taylor that don't know anything about the game. That, like, they don't know. that. Like, that's a critical mistake. Like, that's because he's so busy looking at his play sheet, he doesn't understand the game. I thought the interesting point was brought up earlier in the broadcast when Jay Feely, who was a former kicker in the NFL, he's a part of the broadcast, he's down there to talk about the kicking game, and he mentioned these kickers did not practice any field goals that were long, like 55, 60 yards during pregame warmups. The target line is around the 32-yard line for about a 49, 50-yard field goal. So with that being in mind, like you mentioned with Zach Taylor, he should know, all right, let's prevent these guys from getting in field goal range. How do we do that? We prevent yardage on the return, and that's kicking the ball out of bounds because it's going to require more play since Kansas City was only down to one timeout left. And that's the part of that where it's like, okay, once they get that return, they now have a chance to maybe get inside field goal range and ultimately win the game in regulation. If you're Cincinnati, the objective when you punt the ball, get the game to OT, and they failed miserably in that. No doubt. They failed miserably. And, and, and you can't allow that to happen. Like, you can't allow that to happen, right? And, and so you could say, okay, well, they probably would have had six more seconds. They probably would have had the ball with 36 seconds on the play clock to start mm-hmm. their drive at their own, let's say, where, where did he, he got, he fielded the ball at the, uh, I mean, at the 20, you know, yeah, I think like he the, fielded the, the it. 30 at, or the 29 around there? Yeah, I mean, so he fielded it there. So, okay. So add one more play, but they have only one timeout, and Mahomes can't move. He's scrambling. They can't get open. I mean, and so it's easy to blame Asaya for the, you know, yeah. I mean, that kid played his ass off. That kid played hard. What I loved about it, if I were Mike Brown and, and Katie Blackburn Brown and, the, and anybody running, I loved the fact that he was, it meant so much to him. Mm-hmm. Like, he did, we didn't lose that game because of him. We lost that game for a lot of other reasons besides him. He helped us be in that game. And so, like, to me, it's for anybody to think that he lost the game for him is ridiculous because what lost the game for him was the decision once again. This is two weeks in a row now, just for the record, right? Mm-hmm. Mike McCarthy, you know, we'll get to Kellen more later, but, you know, not, not understanding that Wisniewski's the best punter inside the 20 in the National Football League. And so when we start that drive, and then this one, punt the ball down the middle of the field. So he actually fielded it, Michael, at the 18-yard line. So it was a 54-yard punt to the Kansas City 18, returned to 29 yards to the 47. So this is something that they could have easily been backed up on their own 20 with a timeout left. I'm sure the Chiefs would have tried something because they have Mahomes at quarterback. 
But that's a long, long way to go to get into field goal range with only one timeout left in the defense knowing that you're trying to get the ball down the field. So if you punt the ball out of bounds and say even at the 25, you would think that you should be able to get the ball and get the game into overtime and then have a chance to go ahead and win it there. And we would have seen the new overtime rules where both teams are guaranteed a possession there in the playoffs. Uh, You mentioned Cincinnati lost the game there. I also thought they lost the game once again up front on that offensive line. You know, it's it's like everybody forgot just because we saw Buffalo's horrific pass rush against them last week. They said, oh, Cincinnati figured it out on the offensive line. No, those guys are still backups. There's still three starters who are out on that offensive line. They don't belong out there. And then they got beat time after time, especially in the first half when Mahomes or uh, Burrow was sacked four times. I thought it was going to be the Tennessee game from last year all over again with Burrow in that line. And and Taylor... You know, I, I, I text a coach, a former coach in the league, like, like, are you kidding me? He just got sacked and he went to 5-0 protection. Like, does anybody know you got to protect the guy? Now, they changed it during the mm-hmm. course. They kind of got back to it. But, look, you knew going in that you weren't going to be able to block Chris Jones. You knew that. I mean, first of all, Chris Jones, I could think you could call him offsides on almost every play. His helmet's in the <laughs> neutral zone damn near on every play. I don't know how he gets away with it, but he does. He gamed the system. You know, he's a great player. He's a great player. And we all thought he would impact the game. Yeah. But what I don't understand is, is like, how don't you, you know your offensive line is bad. How don't you have a run game that can off, offset that? You know, he's got 17 rushes total in the game, and four of those rushes come from, come from Burrow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, Burrow took a beating. I mean, he took a beating. And I think, to be honest with you, I think he got, I, I thought they were going to pull him out of the game on the play that he, the play before the third and he makes the throw for on third and 16 i think he got sacked his head hit mm-hmm. the ground i thought he got up a little woozy i thought they were going to pull him out of the game in that one but because it was just a question whether he was going to get hurt i mean yeah. look there's nothing you could do about it. nobody has a great backup left tackle nobody no. has abundance of guards it's hard to find offensive i don't blame the bengals for that this is the kind of where they were but you got to alter how you play based on what you have you know, and they lose Tyler Boyd. I, I didn't get a sense. Did you, from the broadcast, that did, were you getting updated on the injuries? All I got was guys were out. I didn't know what the hell happened to him. I, I didn't know what happened. They mentioned that Boyd came back, and then he after he tried to run around, then he left. Uh, that it was his quad injury, and then that was kind of the last that we'd heard from Boyd. But I guess at that point, if he's out, they're like, whatever, he's out. We don't need to let these people know what, what the injury is. But uh, it, it it was definitely f- impactful when Boyd left the game because then that's when they were able to kind of double those guys on the outside and then just let Burrow throw the ball to the tight ends and the check downs to pre-Ryan and all that stuff, which are, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, you'll definitely take that over Chase and Higgins making plays. Yeah, I, I actually, I, 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 you know, I was not a big P. Ryan fan, but P. Ryan runs harder than Mixon. Like, P. Ryan runs harder than Mixon. Like, when they put P. Ryan in on the goal line, I was on the phone with somebody. I said, they're going to run it left, and he's going to move the pile. Mixon never moves the pile. Mixon didn't move the pile. Like, I thought, I mean, I was never a P. Ryan guy, but I was more Mixon. But I think Mixon wears out at the end of the year. I, I think he kind of tends to wear down a little bit. And, and he wasn't the same guy. Look, they have a hard time. This is the problem when you become a one-formation team like, like Cincinnati when you're always in 11, that you don't have enough versatility. You know, you don't have enough versatility. You've got to be able to say, okay, if we lose one of these receivers, it goes. And, you know, one of the things I thought that was the chase play. If anybody ever wants to know the worst coverage to be in, watch that chase play. It's the, it's the Randy Moss, you can't cover a guy like that. When Randy mm-hmm. Moss played – 
you know, everybody tried to bracket him. You got him if he goes left. I got him if he goes right, right? And what happens if he goes straight? We both don't have him. That was the chase play. You got him. I got him. Nobody's got him. You know, like they are a third down. They got a big play. They run zero blitz. And A, he doesn't get jammed off the line. And B, you know, he, he separates the two guys covering him. I mean, that's just bad ball. It, it really is bad ball, man. Jamar Chase, he, he's just incredible. Burrow, I thought, was really good despite the circumstances in that game there with that offensive line. And it was just a tough matchup here for Cincinnati going on the road into a hostile environment with a bad offensive line like that. Chris Jones, just phenomenal wrecking the game late. But uh, on the offensive side for the Chiefs, and I got to give the Mia Copa once again because apparently I didn't do it enough last week when I apologized to Chiefs fans. Chiefs Kingdom, Michael, is wondering, what, when am I going to give the Chiefs some credit I did it last week against the Jaguars. Now i got to give it again here. Uh, I was wrong, everybody. Put it up in big, bold letters. I was wrong about the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I thought this team, I was not sold on them throughout this season, but they came and did it. And I said, can the Chiefs win a game in the playoffs without Mahomes' A game? I didn't think he had his A game yesterday. As good as he no. was, he didn't have his A game, and they won. So credit to those other guys, the surrounding pieces for this Kansas City Chiefs team. It goes to show you what kind of organization, what kind of team that they have. Because Mahomes, without, with the outstanding numbers, he was still a little bit off with the ankle bothering him, missed some throws. I thought the one to Marquez Valdez-Scantling uh, in the third quarter, that one might have gone for a touchdown if he hit him in stride there. But the Chiefs, they got it done, man. And, and I got to give these guys credit going back to the Super Bowl three times over the last five years. Well, I mean, he, you know, Mahomes at 70% is still really good, right? And they threw for <laughs> yeah. 326. It's I ridiculous. mean, he only, his longest throw of the day was 29 yards. I mean, that was to Scanling on that over route that he threw, you know, and, and losing Tony. I mean, does, does that guy get hurt more than Tony? Like, I, I've never seen a guy who, like, gets hurt more than Tony. He's a young player. He's always yeah. hurt, this guy. It's, I mean, they gave up a high draft pick for him, and he's always hurt. Like, it's always a hamstring with him. Like, it just kind of is like, what's going on with this guy? And then I don't know what happened to Smith-Schuster. I missed that. I, I don't know. I, I didn't know what happened to him. He just disappeared. I think it was a knee for with Juju. I think it was a knee injury for Juju Smith-Schuster, if I remember correctly. You know, and so, like, that offense got, you know, because of his lack of movement, because their line, to me, is overrated, uh, you know, that got shut down. And look, I, I just think to me, you know, that they have to, the Bengals had their chances. When they, you know, for all the conversation about, you know, they replayed the fifth down, all that, 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 that drive ended up not being anything yeah, anyway. Was, they punted yeah. it back to Cincinnati. And the fact that the guy, we had a picture of the guy running on the field. Mm-hmm. He tried to cancel the play. Like, like, why are we making a big deal out of that? Now, the defensive holding call, I, I, I grant you that. Like, that's so inconsistent to what we saw two weeks earlier. To me, I don't disagree with that. Like, either call it the whole way through the playoffs or don't call it. I promise you the Super Bowl, they're not going to call that. No, they're not going to call they're it. They're going to let them play in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. No, they'll definitely let them play. They don't want the officials to become the story uh, during the Super Bowl. Uh, with this victory, though, and Mahomes and what he's done throughout his entire career, he's now guided three lead-changing drives in his playoff career that began with one minute or less on the clock. This tweet from Field Yates over at ESPN. Only player in NFL history with more than one per Elias Sports. So of all the players that we've seen, they all like yeah. the Brady's, the Montana, they all have one. But Mahomes has three of these, and he's – I'm not even sure he's even reached the prime of his career. I mean, but look, I mean, let are we going to call this scoring drive a drive? They go, <laughs> they went four plays, 
They got 26 yards, 15 by penalty. Hey, by hooker crook, They got 29. Like, there's no drive. He threw a ball for five yards. He ran for five yards. Then he got 15 after that, and he threw a six-yard pass. It was a, it was, it was a drive for 11 yards. We're counting this as a come-from-behind drive? I'm trying to give him his credit, Michael. Come on. I mean, he's great. Don't get me wrong. He's fucking tremendous. He's, he's the most – I mean, he's amazing. And him playing – to me, is a, a, a tribute to his toughness, his will mm-hmm. to win. His he's their best player. He's willing to do whatever it takes to win the game, you know. And I thought, you know, yeah, he missed a couple throws. I thought his accuracy wasn't always perfect because of his lower body. But I mean, the guy's tremendous. He's going to go in the Hall of Fame. But like to me, to call this a game-winning drive by him, he would even laugh at that. <laughs> it's a game-winning drive. But the fact that he I'll did tell it, though, you, oh, you can say something? Yeah. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was going to say, the fact that he did it without Juju Smith-Schuster, McCall Hardman, and Kadarius Toney and those guys, I mean, they were down to three receivers, two of which they didn't really trust for much of the season. Sky Moore, I know that was a high draft pick for them, but they clearly didn't want him on the field on those offensive snaps. And then the other kid, uh, Marcus Kemp, I hadn't seen him at all throughout this entire season. Yeah. And they were able to still win this game. Yeah, I mean, Pacheco made some big plays for him in the passing game. He couldn't get the run game going, but he made some mm-hmm. big plays in the passing game. Look, look, I think to me, if Kansas City loses this game, nobody will talk about this. Another non-obvious point. Nobody fucks up the middle eight more than Kansas City. That was bad. Nobody fucks it up more than they do. Like, for them to go out there, like, I don't get it. You go out there... You know your opponent has three timeouts. You know it. So when you take the field with 222 to go in the half, and you know your opponent has three timeouts, right? Why don't you start the drive off with a run? Because at the end of the day, Jack Taylor's not going to call timeout there. He's going to let those 20 seconds dissipate, right? Mm -hmm. He's just going to let them go. So if you run the ball there, okay, now we're at the two-minute warning. All right, now we got to get a first down. Okay, so maybe we got three yards on first down. We're in second and seven. All right, but we throw three straight passes. We're punting the ball back to them before the two-minute warning. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're punting the ball back to them while we pinned them in the back. Okay, great. We pinned them in the back. You know, we get called for a defensive pass interference call for 20 yards. That kills us. Next thing you know, they're goddamn lucky they're not scoring the ball in the end zone. Like, I don't know why Zach Taylor called timeout. I think it was he threw the ball for 21 yards to, 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 uh, to Higgins. To got, no, that was to the five. But when he got it, like, to the 26, he called, his, he called the third timeout. Like, I would have spiked it there. I would have spiked it there. Next play, he comes back. He runs a deep ball. Now he's got no timeouts. When you go down that stretch with no timeouts, if you get sacked, it's over. You've you got to almost save that timeout. Like, this is what I think coaches should spend more time on. Like, if, if you're a young head, wannabe head coach, I don't give a shit if you're the receiver coach at Baldwin-Wallace College or if you're some high school coach somewhere, these situations, you get them on tape and you ask yourself, okay, what would I do here? And, and then you get your team ready to play that. Like, I don't think you should have called time out there. Like, he had plenty of time. He got to the line of scrimmage, you know, with 39 seconds. He throws it. They call timeout. There were 30. He called 32 seconds. They could have ran up there. It would have been 25 seconds, right? Mm-hmm. And you still would have had your timeout. I mean, it, it, losing the middle eight the way that the Kansas City Chiefs did, having the ball and then giving up 10 points during that time there, I thought that was going to kill them. 
uh, it, it almost should've. it should have. Yeah, it should have killed them because then they start the second half with a punt. So they go three and out, three plays, zero yards, 19 seconds, right before the two-minute warning. Bengals drive down the field, kick a field goal. Then they go three plays, two yards, minute 31 to start the second half. Bengals go down the field, eight plays, 62 yards, 335 touchdown. All of a sudden, we have a tie I mean, game. When it felt like Kansas City was dominating all that first half, then you look up sitting there with about eight minutes to go in, in the third quarter. We're tied 13-13. It's like, here it goes again. Here it goes again. <laughs> I mean, that's what I kept saying. Like, I, I said that they had a moment, you know, where and Andy just doesn't give a shit. He, he's never cared about it in his entire career. He's never cared. He's been so good at being able to have a quarterback come from behind that he's never really had to manage – game situations to the level and he's kind of gotten out of it and a quarter a guy makes a play Mahomes makes a play or Donovan McNabb made a play somebody made a play to kind of a loose play too it's not even like some of the plays they make in Kansas City you you can't steal that play like you can't steal like the touch the first touchdown pass to Kelsey that's Kelsey and Mahomes that's not on the that wasn't called that way right no that's just two great players making great plays granted I think Andy's a Hall of Fame coach. I think he's a great coach. But these situations are, to me, they, they allow the other team to stay close to you, which is one of the reasons why they're such a shitty team cover the spread. <laughs> it really is remarkable what they're able to do. Mahomes is now the youngest quarterback in NFL history to reach 10 career playoff wins at 27 years, 134 days. The previous youngest quarterback was Tom Brady, 28 years. Then it was Roethlisberger and Aikman after that. So Mahomes now adding to his legacy. And here's what he had to say after the game when talking about what this trip to the Super Bowl means to him compared to some of the others from the past. Yeah, I'd appreciate it a, a way more. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say that in a bad way. I think uh, when I first got in the league, it all, all happened so fast. Um, I won the MVP. I won the, I won the Super Bowl. And I thought that's just kind of how it went. You were going to play. I listened to Coach what Coach Reed said, and that stuff happens. And <clears throat> now that I've, I've dealt with uh, failure um, of losing the AFC Championship, losing the Super Bowl, I know how, how much hard work and daily grind that it takes. And so I'm just excited to get to that game with the, the teammates that I have here. And it's a lot of new team, teammates that haven't been in these Super Bowl games. And so let's bring them along and, and prepare them so that we can go out and put our best, best uh, foot forward. Yeah. Chiefs fans are lucky man. to have that guy, man. <laughs> well, you got to credit you know, Brett Veach yeah. and, and Andy, Andy for recognizing. They had a quarterback, and they knew they needed to get a better one, and they, and they found the guy. Remember, you know, it's the Buffalo Bills that traded that pick to them. Nobody ever talks about that. Yeah. Buffalo gave them a Holmes. And <laughs> Buffalo didn't have Josh Allen when they gave him a Holmes. No. Think about that. That's, that's pretty incredible. Because Mahomes was on the board. I believe Watson was on the board as well during that time. Watson went, ten, Watson went 12. 12, yeah. The Browns, ironically, the Browns trade, trade the pick to Houston for Watson. Then they paid because their analytics at that time said Watson wasn't any good. Then the analytics got an eraser, and they became geniuses again, and then they said he's really good, so let's give him $250 million. It's amazing how this shit happens. Nobody gets called out for it. It's like, no, like, like nobody's going to say, Zach Taylor, why'd you punt the ball down the middle of the field? Oh, it's okay. You're a great coach, Zach. You know, like, like you got a great player in Joe Burrow. You have a great, great yeah. player in Joe Burrow. If I, if I were Mike Brown and the – I would be like, we got a great player, and we're going to spend as much money on offensive and defense alignment forever. Well, because if we protect this guy, we're going to win multiple Super Bowls. Well, I think Burrow's going to go ahead and uh, back up the Brinks truck this uh, this offseason when he's eligible I, for that I, contract. I don't. I, you don't think so? I think, he, 
I think oh, I think he certainly is entitled to back up the Brinkstruck. But I think Burrow is a teammate. Mm-hmm. I think Burrow will do what Mahomes did, which is take a deal that doesn't max it out all the way that helps his team continue to get players. Yeah. No. If he does that, then that's definitely going to allow him to continue I think to compete. I mean, you could just listen to what Mahomes said there. He's all about the team. Mm-hmm. Like, Mahomes could make $55 million a year. I mean, you can't overpay Mahomes. You can't overpay Burrow. That's the thing. You could overpay Daniel Jones, trust me, and they will. They are going to overpay Daniel oh, Jones. No. I promise you that. You're, you're going to, you know, when you get ready to do the show and you're always sweating when you come in, mm-hmm. when you read Daniel Jones's contract, you're going to be sweating like that. <laughs> I might be celebrating as a Cowboys fan. <laughs> They're going to pay him what they you might. Pay. You just might. You just might. <laughs> we'll get to my team later on in the pod. Uh, but yeah, final thoughts here. Mahomes, Chiefs heading to the Super Bowl, and it just adds to their legacy what they've been able to do. And I think this adds to the rivalry. That was kind of my last point before I went to sleep last night thinking about this game. I was like, man. You heard the way that the Chiefs guys were talking about the Burrowhead stuff after the game. And, hey, Mahomes said, we're not going to need any cigars to celebrate and all that stuff because the whole Bengals thing when they always smoke the cigars after big victories. Like, this is this is going to be a fun budding rivalry in the NFL going forward here. And these guys, they're going to be playing every single yeah. year because they're going to be favored to win their divisions. They're probably going to play in the playoffs. Like, this is, this is something that I think the NFL needs to lean into, this Bengals-Chiefs rivalry. I mean, all the bullshit talk doesn't make the rivalry. (laughs) What makes the rivalry is Burrow-Mahomes. That's what Mm -hmm. makes the rivalry. Because you remove Burrow, you remove Mahomes, there's no rivalry. Yeah, then it's over. It's two great players going after each other in a team sport. And two great players who understand how to make their teammates great. That's what makes rivalries. Manning, Brady. Yep. Two great players that understand how to play great. I mean, that's what makes rivalries. It isn't always, you know, it's not always the uniform. It's the, it's the quarterbacks. Yeah, no, that's, that's well said there. And I think we have a pretty damn good one with this Bengals, Chiefs, and Burrow and Mahomes going forward. All right, Michael, let's take our first break. On the other side, we'll get to the NFC title game. As a, I don't think they greased the poles out there in Philly. We'll discuss it next here on the GM Shuffle. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... As a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. 
right, the first game we saw Championship Sunday in the NFC. Eagles beat the Niners 31-7. I was excited for this game beforehand. And then, unfortunately, early on, we see Brock Purdy suffer the elbow injury. And that kind of sends this game off into a tailspin. And it honestly felt a little bit like a fake game, to be quite honest. Just the way that that Niners offense had to operate once Purdy left the ball game here. But you got to credit the Eagles, though, winning the game 31-7. And it started, I thought, with that first drive where they really set the tone and drove the ball. They converted some high-leverage plays there. The conversion to A.J. Brown on third down, of course, the Devontae Smith play with the big catch as well. Uh, Shanahan, though, under a little bit of fire for not challenging the play with Devontae Smith. Here's what he had to say after the game about why he decided to keep the red flag in his pocket. Because the replay we saw didn't definitely show that. They actually, we saw one up on the scoreboard. I was going to throw one anyways just to hope to take the chances, but they showed one up on the scoreboard um, that didn't have all the angles you guys saw, and that looked like a catch, and so we don't want to waste the timeout, which we definitely would have if we didn't see that, but then I heard they got a couple other angles, and you guys end up seeing later that it was not a catch. Yeah. I agree with that. Oh. It looked like a catch well, real time. I, 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 I don't because here's the way Smith reacted. It told you something was up. And mm. look, they this notion to waste a timeout in the first quarter, they waste timeouts with the play clock goes down. I mean, I mean, we've seen it before. Like, if you're going to waste a timeout, like, I agree, don't challenge it. I agree. You didn't see it. But, but, throw the t- but with the way he reacted, use a timeout. Use a timeout. Because you're going to get more time to see the play. Now, remember the that replay official in the sky or wherever that per, that's only for calls that you know that that are judgment or they're not challenged call. Like if he challenged it, they would have gone to that guy quickly and reversed it, right? But unless he challenged it, they're not going to that guy. So I get that. So I would have called timeout. Like I I, I I think to challenge at that early part of the game is is difficult. But to call timeout to give yourself a chance, because the way the Eagles behaved, the way they were running to the ball, the way they wanted to get it done, it, it, it was it told you they, they weren't sure. So call timeout. And now you got more time to look at it. You got people up in the box to look at. I didn't think Fox did a very good job of showing it to us very quickly either. No. And maybe after the timeout, you would have still not had a good view. But once once the timeout you would have been able to see it. And then you say, hey, you know what? I'm challenging it. I don't want to, I'm going to turn my time out into a challenge. Okay, they, they let you do that. I, I wonder. But you got you, you to be, even if it would have cost you two timeouts, once you, it would have saved you. It's a fourth and three play. Yeah. You get the ball, you're going to get the ball back out there. I mean, look, they burn timeouts left and right. I mean, like the timeouts in the first half, I grant you, are important. The challenges early in the game are vital. But you can make – you're going to get three more timeouts when – this is this was supposed to be a game that was going to be decided in the fourth quarter. So you need to protect your timeouts. The first half, I get it. I get it. But you won the toss, right? So, you know, you got to be really careful here. And so you wanted to make sure you knew you didn't want to play from behind. And they got that ball, and all of a sudden now, you know, you're playing from behind. So I, I think to me, where I disagree with Kyle is at, at the first quarter, there's timeouts. They're important, but they're not life or death like they are in the fourth quarter. That's definitely fair. Because I, I thought like the, the Eagles did a phenomenal job executing that uh, – 
kind of fire drill there to get the, everybody on the line of scrimmage and to get it snapped. And I think that Devontae Smith, and, and I'd have to go back and watch it, it, after he made the quote-unquote catch, since it wasn't really a catch, but it's counted as a catch in the rule books, so I guess we got to call it that, he did this hand signal where he was putting his fists together. And I wonder if that's almost like a, like a hey, like that guys. Was their like, signal. That was like the signal, like, let's that line was- this thing up. Run the play. Yeah. Run the play. Let's go. Like Instead we, of saying, you know, like he went like that, and that's their signal to run the play. When, when Kyle's father was in Denver, he had a signal that whenever there was a play he wanted to review, he would raise his hand in the air. He'd stick his hand straight up in the air. And the guy who was in the replay booth in Denver, mm-hmm. he would immediately put it up on the scoreboard because he wanted to see it. So they had a system in place. So they knew as soon as he went, put his right hand up. So when, when they go like that, there's a signal. We got to go. I didn't catch it. We got to yeah. go. But, you know, he doesn't want to tell everybody I didn't catch it. But the way they rushed to the line told you. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that, that you would have been able. But I think if you call timeout there, just call timeout. First of all, it, was a, it, was a, it, it may not even have been a worse timeout. Just get your defense set up and so they know what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. They they threw the incomplete pass because they wanted to get that over with. So for me, I thought that the, he should have just called his timeout at that point, and then he did. Now he's behind seven nothing. So now he's coming back down. They got a nice little drive going, right? Get the ball to San Francisco. You know, they they, they get a, a run for four yards. Now they got second and six, and then Kittle doesn't handle Riddick, and the next thing you know, the game's over. I mean, look, I I don't know what to say uh, about it. I think it was. You know, and they still get back in the game. I mean, think about it. they get they get this to seven to seven, and then the Eagles go on that long uh, what fourteen plays, seventy five yards, where they get three first downs by penalty. You know, they convert a you know a third and two, a fourth and one, a third and seven, a, a third and two. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, they convert these plays, they get these first downs, right? The third and seven. The, I thought the penalty on Ward was a joke. What do you think? It was a tough penalty. It was definitely a tough penalty, and that's one that we haven't seen. I mean, think back to the Chargers-Jaguars game that we saw that Saturday night of Wild Card Weekend. The Chargers were being able to be physical with all those Jags guys, and nothing was being called. I think even one of Asante Samuel Jr.'s interceptions looked like something that they would call in the regular season. The Ward penalty, I thought, was like a regular season penalty because they hadn't been calling that in the playoffs. They hadn't done it at all. I mean, look, McGill's hands to the face. I get that. You got to call that. That was obvious, right? You know, there's plays that you got to call that are obvious. But to me, when that judgment call there, you know, and, and they made it sound like, oh, he got tackled. He didn't get tackled. I mean, that was like they were I, – I, I think it just was inconsistent. Look, mm-hmm. it, that play, once Purdy went down, that, that was a hard game. Because here's the reality. When you have Purdy at your quarterback, and I think we didn't do a good enough – they didn't do a good enough job explaining this. Like, like Purdy – is a rookie. He needs all in a big game like this. He needs all the reps, mm-hmm. right? He needs all the reps. Josh Johnson isn't going to get very many reps. He's going to get mental reps, but he's not going to get physical reps. Yep. Like Purdy needs all the reps. So once Kyle lost Purdy, and he went to Josh, his menu of plays got shrunk way down. And it, and they kept saying, well, he's going to keep executing the game plan. No, he's not. That game plan got thrown out the window once Purdy got fucking hurt. That, was that just went out the window. Two hours ago, yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, he's going to he's narrowed his sheet down to 10 plays that Josh can run in terms of passes and, and the runs that he can execute and then ultimately try to, you know, dress them up in different formations but keep running the same play. 
and San Fr- and Philadelphia did a great job of taking away. They knew immediately that once Josh Johnson came in, it was going to be a boot game. It was going to be a naked mm-hmm. game, and they took that right away. Uh, the Eagles pass rush, uh, I mean, it's devastating. We've talked about it all throughout the year, four guys in double-digit sacks. And Shanahan, he, he's a respected mind in football with what he's doing offensively, and I respect the hell out of him. I think he's the best play caller in the NFL. But too often, I feel like, Michael, we see these play designs where it's a tight end blocking an edge rusher. And I don't, I'm not meaning to question what Kyle Shanahan does as, a, as an offensive mind because he's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know, probably. But we got to get rid of this stuff, man. Like, like Reddick is a 16-sack guy. You can't have a tight end blocking him. And then he goes in there and gets in on your quarterback, and then that's the fumble where Purdy gets knocked out of the game. Like, it's just, to me, I feel like you're setting your guys up for failure because you can say, oh, the tight end didn't block the guy. Well, he's a tight end. I mean, he's one of the best well, edge rushers in the league. I mean, I think this is a bigger issue, right? I, I, I think to me, what I have said, and I think Kyle is one of the best coaches, offensive coaches in football. And of the, of the group of people that I talk to on a regular basis, we have this discussion quite often about Kyle is so immersed in the play-action pass game that when it becomes a drop-back game, his line isn't good enough. For all the pro football focus bullshit about this guy's the number three guard, this guy's the number two guard, when they have to throw the football from a drop back scheme, whether he was in Atlanta, whether he was in Washington, whether even with his dad in Denver, they are not. The system of offense is not conducive to a drop back pass game. It must play from in front. Mm. It must play from the way that, that, that the run game's involved. And when you get into some of these situations where you're going against a superior defensive front who's very physical who can push you back Mm -hmm. who can push who can power rush more than speed they're going to have some issues and I think that's the thing and so there's give and take with every offense so you give away a lot in the drop back pass game but you gain a lot in the run game the play action the boots the play all that stuff it's great but at the end of the day if you can't drop back and pass it's hard so I, I think that's the issue with that play when Purdy got hurt, according to Adam Schefter, he the Niners believe that Purdy injured his UCL and the elbow. He's going to undergo an MRI today. Their hope is that it's not ruptured and it would only require a six-week recovery. Uh, but test Monday, I guess, or today will provide some sort of a clarity here. Purdy, after the game, said, quote, My arm felt like it stretched out, just pain all over, getting an MRI tomorrow. I'm still in pain, obviously. I couldn't throw anything over 10 yards, 5 yards. Screen were our only option when I came back in. Him coming yeah. back in, he mentioned that after Josh Johnson suffered a concussion, when the protocol got ruled out of the game. I thought that was also strange to see that Purdy, I mean, who knows if, how much he could even grip the ball. He's telling you he couldn't throw past 10 yards. Did you agree with them putting him back into the game in that spot? I mean, well, I mean, first of all, who are they going to put in, right? I mean, let's they get got crazy. nobody who could. Let's well, get- how are you going to get crazy? Who's going to call the place? I mean, systems of offense require communication. You know, who's going to call it? Like, who's going to call it? You're going to go down to three plays. The game's over at that point. I mean, what I found unbelievable is why was Philly even trying to throw the ball? Why Philly could have kneeled three? I mean, they're throwing the ball. They got Hurts out there. He's going to get, they're running Hurts. He could have gotten hurt. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they're running the guy. I mean, for all the conversation about Philly, I mean, Philly had 70 plays. They gained 270 yards. They didn't play great. I mean, San Francisco, if that was a real game, if that would have been a real quarterback stay healthy game, 
That could have been a back and forth game going to, it would have been a great game. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it ended up being a shitty game. Now, the, the, they deserved a win. They were the better team. But I had no idea what they were doing in the second half. I mean, why weren't they doing that? I mean, it made no sense. Their opponent was the clock. Once Josh Johnson got hurt, the opponent was the clock. You could have thrown three three outside zones in a row, punted back to them. They they were in four minute offense. They were running the four minute offense. They were they needed three downs to get two first downs. So w- what are we doing? Yeah. I didn't get that at all. No, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And even and running Jalen Hurts there, that, that that I thought was egregious. That there. made no sense at the end of the game. Like I would have yeah. taken Hurts out. Like they got Lane Johnson out of the game, you know, and and, and they took him out. But like you got to take to me. I would have done that, but you know they didn't do it. Look, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you find this odd? Do you find this interesting that whenever the Niners don't win, we can't find John Lynch anywhere? <laughs> but when the Niners are winning, we find John Lynch everywhere. Like we have people describing how he gets down to the field so quickly. I mean, you talk about one of the great PR campaigns of any human being on planet Earth. I mean, it's, you. T- it's, I mean, it's his former what, employer. I, I what do you want him to, to do? <laughs> I said to Bill Berman and, and Millie on the couch, yeah, we're all watching the game. Bobby Lag came over. We're all watching the game together. I'm like, nobody can find John Lynch. Now, you can't find him. Did he go to Pat's Steakhouse for a cheesesteak at halftime? Like, what the – where did he go? I think he went to Geno's. Like, where did he go? <laughs> yeah, oh, he went to Geno's? Maybe he did. I would have recommended he go to the saloon down on 7th and Fitzwater. That's a hell of a restaurant. I would have gone there. Old school Italian, you know. Uh-huh. It's been there for 50 years. You know, nice, but – I, mean, I don't know where was he, fam. I, I didn't see him the whole day. I, I, he, he was dapping up and hugging everybody after the Cowboys game. <laughs> we saw oh, front and we, center. We were, I mean, there's books about Lee Harvey Oswald going up and down the steps, right? There's a there's a uh, there's documentation that three women swear they never saw Oswald go down the steps, which he would have had it done if he was on the sixth floor. We actually got. John Lynch's method to get to the field and people were timing it. There was an article in the athletic about it. Like that's seriously, right. you see it. I mean, like we're, we're really, we care about how he gets on the field, like, but we can't find him today. We couldn't find him. <laughs> it's just, isn't it funny how that works out? <laughs> it's it's fucking funny. unbelievable. It's funny how that one works out. Um, and, and it was, it was a tough hand that the Niners were dealt. And, and honestly, like I, I felt bad for them watching that game, especially once we got to halftime and it really sunk in as like, damn, these guys are screwed based on the quarterback situation to, to have those injuries happen. And I mean, the game starts out, it was the second play of the game, Fred Warner. Like, we're like, oh my God, is he going to be okay? Luckily, he right. comes back. Bosa then gets dinged up a, a couple of times in the game. Like, like, it was just like as bad of a half as you could draw from a bad luck standpoint happened yesterday. Like that, 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 and then Kyle made it worse. Kyle made it worse because he's getting the ball to start the half. He's got Josh Johnson. I mean, the kid drops a goddamn snap. Like, yeah. just go in at halftime with four down 14 to seven. Like if we could, like you got to know if we keep this to a one score game, we got to, ch- we might have a chance. It's mm-hmm. going to be hard as shit to win this game, but go in at halftime, kind of regroup yourself. But when it became twenty one to seven at the half, it's over. I mean, you know that was as I say, it's that was pawn to queen four checkmate. Yep, yep. That that, that it was over after that point because I think just psychologically too, down two scores, backup quarterback, hostile environment. Like, the, it's done. I mean, every player went in the locker room off. We're screwed. I mean, it's such a great season. They have such a – I mean, you just love watching them play defense, how well they tackle, mm-hmm. how fast they run, you know, and then how the Eagles were able to run to the weak side. It kind of – they did some nice things in their scheme, 
you know, to, to get that run. And, and really what they never mentioned was Gainwell's speed was a problem. for yeah. the Like if you're playing the 49ers, your back's got to be really fast because Sanders wasn't the right back. Like there's a back for the defense. Like you, there's a certain style of back that that needs to play. Like when Pollard, Pollard went out yep. against the Niners, mm-hmm. you know that that killed him, right? Because Zeke can't play against Dal- against San Francisco. He's too slow. Same thing. I'm not saying Sanders is slow, but Gamewell was the guy. And I give the give the Eagles credit. They recognized that from a personnel how we got, and he he made the difference in the game in the run game. Mm-hmm. But they didn't really do anything in the pass game. I mean, that one catch is credited. They gained 270 yards and 70 plays in what was 35 on the one play, and yeah. that wasn't a play. Yeah, I, I thought Sanders. He was more so indecisive a little bit out there on the field because he does have some speed, but I don't think he was being decisive in terms of hitting the hole. Gainwell was like he was shot out of a cannon on some of those runs there, and he was able to find a lot of success on the ground. But we do have to tip our cap to the Eagles' front office and the roster that they put together. Uh, I gave the Mia Culpa for the Chiefs there and being wrong about them. Uh, I'm going to say it. We first guessed this about the Eagles all the way back to the springtime. This is one of the most talented rosters, probably the most talented roster in the NFL. And I think that, yes, they got fortunate that they got to face the Danny Dimes Giants and then a banged-up Niners team in the title game, but... This was the best team, I thought, throughout the entire season, and they should be in the Super Bowl. Well, I mean, look, they have the best offensive and defensive line in football. And what I loved about mm-hmm. it is they built strength on strength. Yep. Right? So instead of sitting there saying, you know, we're really good in the defensive line, they go out and trade for Quinn. Not that Quinn made a difference. Not that Quinn's a great player. Instead of saying we're really great in the defensive line, they draft, they draft Davis in the first round. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody, everybody thought David. You know, then they go and sign Sue. Then they go and sign Linville Joseph. Like, 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 give them credit. Like, they put their money where their mouth is. You know, and they they end up starting Joseph in the game out on the edges because they wanted to get bigger out there, right? Yeah, they wanted to play. They wanted to play uh, Riddick. They wanted to play five defensive linemen essentially in this game. So they had Riddick and Joseph Cox, Hargrave and Sweat. They started the game off in five down linemen. Because they knew that you know they were going to be have a hard. They wanted when you play in a bet when you're playing an offensive line that struggles to block one on one. That's soft. That's uh, when I say soft. I don't mean not tough. I mean soft, not with a lot of power. Yeah, they did a great job. You know, and for all, when we get to the draft, nobody will remember that the Eagles' defensive line and offensive line won the games, won the Super Bowl for them. Nope. They're going to remember that AJ Brown won it for them, or or, or Smith won it, or Hurts is yep. no. Games are won by who has the best offensive and defensive line. That's why Kansas City's up for a challenge against Philly. Uh, Hassan Reddick, definitely, I think, the best free agent signing we saw this past free agent year. I mean, it was one of those that went kind of under the radar. But when they signed him, I was like, dude, this is a good player going to a pretty damn good front. If he's able to get single block, they're going to they're gonna be a menace to deal with up front. And he had 16 sacks this season, has two and a half more sacks in the playoffs, and maybe he'll get some more sacks in the Super Bowl. We'll find I, out I mean, in a I couple think, weeks. I think the reason Carolina, Carolina doesn't sign him back, Carolina should sign him back. I mean, Matt Rule had him at Temple. Yeah. You know, but they, they, they held back the money because they were, they were in that Watson derby. So they're in the Watson conversation, so they don't sign Gilmore, they don't sign Riddick back. Because they're kind of in that Watson thing, so they're holding money, and Philly swooped in and made them. I mean, it's a great look. It, it it's a great lesson to learn. If you build on strength as a team, Al Davis used to say this all the time. He hated baseball teams that had two good pitchers and would trade a good pitcher for a hitter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the lesson in terms of management and team building is build on strength, strength to strength, right? 
it, that's what the Eagles did. They have so many defensive linemen that they just rotate them through, and they're all good. Mm-hmm. And so they signed Riddick when they had Sweat and they had Graham. Now they'll lose Graham next year. He's not the same player, and you know they'll probably Robert Quinn might not be on the team next year. But that's what that's how you build a team through the offensive and defensive lines, and that's why you can get control of the game. Yeah, the Eagles, as good as their roster is, oh by the way, they happen to have a top ten pick in this year's draft as well. <laughs> Just by the way, so the best roster in the league might well, get better I mean, they, coming they, up. They're able, they're able to, to, to build their team around a quarterback who's under a rookie contract. Now, it's going to change when they have to pay Hurts. Yeah. Max out deal? <laughs> we'll discuss that maybe a little later in the offseason. I see you shaking your head, Michael. I didn't miss that one. Let's take another break. On the other side, we'll get to some news and notes from this past weekend from around the league. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, let's go rapid fire with some news and notes here, Michael. During the middle of the AFC title game, uh, I don't know if Jerry Jones and the Cowboys brass decided, hey, nobody's talking about us. Let's go ahead and put some uh, news out there. But they announced that they have, quote, mutually parted ways with offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. According to the reports, head coach Mike McCarthy might be the one that's calling the plays in the 2023 season that's going to be coming up here the next fall. But uh, we talked about this on the pod. On Thursday, you told me, you said, hey, there's a good chance that they end up going uh, with another offensive coordinator here. And lo and behold, a couple days later, the news comes out. Yeah, I mean, look, at some point, somebody has to understand the game of football. Like, And Mike is sitting there, and I I know Mike's the head coach, but this subcontractor mentality that Kellen had complete control. I think where push comes to shove in this case is the fundamental question is how's Dak going to – how can we keep Dak – from hurting us? How can we make Dak better? And I think the argument could be made by McCarthy is, look, let me coach the quarterback. I coached Aaron Rodgers. Let, let, let's let eliminate a buffer. Let me manage the game like we did with Cooper Rush, and we'll treat Dak in that sense as opposed to trying to run this offense that you guys, Jerry and Steven, think is the best for us. So, I mean, it made sense. I, I You know, I, I've, t- I've been told that Moore wasn't really that strongly – a candidate. It really came down to Wilkes and 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 Reich in, mm-hmm. in Carolina. You know, I mean, if you're if you're Carolina, 
You could have hired Wilkes. You knew you could have had more. Like, when Moore was on that interview in Carolina, everybody in the league knew that he was not guaranteed to go back to Dallas. Like, there's a PR machine behind Moore that his agent handles, but there's also the reality in the league. So you've got the perception outside the building, and then you've got the reality through people that talk to other people in the league. And, I mean, if Carolina wanted Wilkes, they could have said, hey, Steve, you're the coach, and we want Kellen Moore to be the coordinator. And that you got to accept that. You know, that's pairing. So now now you're going to hear about more going to the Chargers. That's an option. Mm-hmm. Maybe more goes to Alabama with Nick Saban. Ooh. I hear Nick Saban's going to be interested in him. I hear Nick Saban's interested in the Clapper. How about them apples? How about the Clapper clapping in Tuscaloosa? Would you like to see that? <laughs> that, 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 that's a, that is an interesting one. They do have history together because wasn't he the QB coach when Saban was the head coach in Miami? Yeah, they've and they've and, and you know, anytime the clapper talks, he always talks about his relationship with Nick. I yeah. mean, if, if you know, if and the clapper was up for Stanford. Now he said he pulled himself out of the Stanford job. I don't know. Use the side, but I mean, I mean, look, you if you could get a clapper, if you could get good clapping in Tuscaloosa, you got to take it. You can't miss it. I mean, there's, there's a lot to clap about with that program. You know, they win a lot of games. So. I mean, there's a lot to clap about. I mean, so. That could be an option here. Okay. Can, maybe, maybe. look, that Alabama's going to pay. I don't know what the Chargers would pay for Kellen Moore if they got, but they're not going to, they're not going to pay. The, the, like Alabama will pay whatever the Chargers pay. Yeah. Maybe more. I don't know. Yeah, they might you know, pay more. Now, I mean, Vic Fangio goes to Miami, right? So let's go, let's understand the evolution of how that happens. So Vic mm-hmm is out there. He's got Carolina, and he's got a Miami. Yep. Dan Quinn pulls out of all the jobs. Not going to get one, but Jerry gives Dan Quinn a ton of money. Pays him almost $5 million a year. Wow. Almost $5 million a year. Okay? So once that deal came in, Vic Fangio's like, well, if Dan Quinn's getting almost that, you know, Carolina's offering X. Miami said, okay, we'll give you the Dan Quinn deal. So now he's in Miami. So that's why I tweeted out that I knew that Fangio was going to Get a, get, he was he was close to take him on. A lot of people thought he might go to Carolina, but once the Quinn deal came in, I knew that was what Fangio was waiting for. And all the defensive coordinators in the league that have a high level, like, I don't know if Lou Amaromo is going to get this deal, but it, the water seeks its level, right? Mm-hmm. So whenever one of these guys get this big raise, it helps you get a raise. So what we're seeing now is these coordinators are, almost, are getting head coaches money now. If you're an elite coordinator... Wow. I mean, it's almost like the quarterback market and free agency is like, hey, that guy got paid. I get paid. And it's it's kind of the, the, the cream rising. No, I like a lot to dive into here uh, with Kellen Moore. You, you mentioned the Chargers job. You mentioned maybe the Alabama job. We know that Alabama, Nick Saban's running the coaches rehab there with all the coordinators that go down there. They go to Tuscaloosa. Clapping they, rehab, too. Yes. <laughs> they get the Crimson Tide pixie you don't dust. Wanna, you them. don't want to just clap hard. You know, when you're in that humidity, you could miss a clap, you know, and you could slip it. You know, and then who could have a raw? You could have like a bad palm. You gotta, you gotta make sure when you're in humidity down in Alabama, you clap in the right way. Well, I know that you're gonna miss him in studio on the NBC uh, pregame show oh. if he goes down to Alabama. Femi, I, Femi, I did not turn the goddamn television on until three oh five yesterday. <laughs> we'll see what happens down there in Tuscaloosa, but. If, if you had to guess, Kellen Moore, who had one year left on his deal in Dallas, they go ahead and quote-unquote mutually part ways. Do you think he ends up in L.A. ultimately? 
I think it depends on what he wants to do with his career. If he's got a chance, if he wants to be a college head coach, he should go to Alabama, mm-hmm. right? If he wants to be a college head coach, if he wants to be a pro head coach, go coach Justin Herbert. Now, can you imagine that two, those two come, those two dynamics coming together, two joysticks? I mean, just get more room in the basement. He got Staley on one side of the of the machine. I mean, really, Mark Zuckerberg should sponsor the sponsor this. Like they should be put your Facebook on the goddamn jersey. <laughs> That'd be These your are two team. of the best joystick guys ever. That would be your favorite team in the league <laughs> if he goes. Oh, to by the far. Put them in primetime every far. game so we can see what happens. Oh there. my god, we can watch the <laughs> we can watch the two of them work together. Joyce one side of the basement or not? I mean. You know, they could be the speakers. What are those conventions that the kids have with the, what they play all these computer games? I mean, they could, those two guys could be the speakers at the convention. <laughs> I mean, it would be brilliant. It would be brilliant. Neither one gives a shit about what the game's going on. Neither one has any awareness of game situation. Neither one cares about how we're going to win the game. They only care about how we're going to, how we're going to, you know, we're going to stop them, you know, or we're going to score like anybody. Nobody gives a shit about that. And that's would be beautiful. Now, Kellen Moore, I'm sure his agent has put this number out there, and a lot of people have put this number out there. The Cowboys offense in the four seasons that Kellen Moore was the offensive coordinator, they ranked inside the top 10 three times. And But this is what we've talked about with this offense is that it's called to accumulate yards, but it's not necessarily called to win games. And that's been no, the issue right. with Kellen Moore there. It's like it, when they run up on the good teams and he's not able to provide the easy answers for Dak Prescott, that's when we run into problems. I mean, that's the reality. I mean, I, I think Kellen Moore, if Kellen Moore was really wanted to be a great coach, Kellen Moore should spend more time understanding how to be more aware situationally, how to play the game each week differently to then take advantage of his intellectual capacity and advance the game. I kid about him, but to me, what he needs to do is, and I say this with the criticism that I offer, is constructive criticism. What he should do is understand, how do I play this game today to win the game? Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to collect numbers. I'm trying to win the game today. How do I play that? What do I do? What's the matchup I have to utilize? How do I get my best player of the ball here? How do I run this offense as opposed to I'm going to run my offense? I, I, and I, In fairness to Kellen Moore, no one's taught him this. So he's never been around a Parcells. He's never been around a coach that understands this. A Shannon, that, he's never been around a guy that can incorporate the three areas of the team together. And if you don't know that, like Zach Taylor, you punt the ball down the middle of the field. Well, I mean, maybe Brandon Say will teach him that uh, next year when he's the coordinator for the Chargers. There's no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> uh, last thing on Dallas before we get to some other news and notes here. Uh, they're making big changes on that offensive staff, looking for a new OC, quarterback coach, running backs coach, offensive line coach. I think they only retained the receivers coach there. So it'll be a lot of new changes during this cycle. McCarthy has called plays in the past in Green Bay, he called plays for the majority of his 13 years down there in Green Bay. Do you think that he ultimately ends up being the play caller or do they go elsewhere for a play caller? And maybe who do they hire just in general as the offensive coordinator? I think they're going to hire Brian Schottenheimer. Okay. I think he's he's got Brian Schottenheimer out of there. He's Brian yep. Schottenheimer's been an analyst. Yeah. So he's been an analyst for Dan Quinn. So what he does is he gives Dan Quinn the breakdown of the offense so that Dan Quinn can see the game through some an offensive coach's eyes on how he would attack him. It's really mm. a good it's really good. It's yeah. good shit. I mean, that's what you should do. It's kind of a, a counterintuitive way. It's counterintelligence, kind of what Lee Harvey Oswald was working yeah. in. And Ben McAdoo so, was doing that you know, for them last year before he took the Panthers job. Exactly. Yeah. And it makes you a better it makes you a better offensive coach. 
it makes you a better offensive coach because when you study others, how people, when you learn how the defense approaches, how they want to stop you, you then become an adjustment, not an – see, Kellen Moore's an attack-the-coverage coach. They're in three, let's run these plays. They're in two, let's run these plays. Let's run a man-beater here as opposed to attacking the adjustments. Sean McVay attacks the adjustments in man. He attacks the adjustments in zone. So that, that separates him. That's what Kyle does. Mm-hmm. That's how you separate yourself as an offensive coach. Everybody can run the beaters. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows the beaters. But understanding how they call it, how they play it, how they adjust it, then you design the plays to those things, you're off to the races. Uh, I love it there. Uh, real quick, the Carolina Panthers, they hired Frank Reich last week after we taped the podcast on Thursday. Reich uh, started three games for the Panthers back in 1995, their inaugural season. So how about that little factoid? He was 40-33-1 and 33 and one as a head coach in Indianapolis. What do you make of Frank Reich there uh, becoming the new Panthers head coach? I think that, you know, Tepper probably wanted somebody with stability, maturity, mm-hmm. you know, that he can kind of have a relationship with. I think Tepper sees the game through the offensive lens. And, you know, we all have our own way to see the game, you know, like especially if you're a, you know, coaches are different. They see the game through their position. But people that observe the game, personnel people, general managers, there's a tendency to see the game through the offensive lens or through, you know, and and ignore some. And I think Tepper as an owner sees the game through the offense. He wants his offense to lead his organization. And I think that's probably why Wilkes didn't get the job because maybe Wilkes didn't have a real answer for him on who would be the offensive coach. Yeah, and I feel like typically we see NFL teams also go like they like to kind of alternate like defense, offense, defense, offense in terms of who they end up hiring there. Uh, last thing, the Houston Texans are expected to maybe name D'Amico Ryans as their new head coach. He's at least he's emerged as a favorite to become the new head coach. Do they make that announcement today or tomorrow? Well, I think, I mean, look, here's what I was told by people reliable in the league, that D'Amico had his choice between Denver and, and Houston. He took Houston because his wife's from there, they've been mm-hmm. there, and I think it obviously gives him a chance to, look, you definitely want to go to a place that has fired the last two head coaches after a year because they're not going to fire you after a year because you can go in there and say, I want a six-year contract. Like, I want a mm-hmm. seven, I want some assurances that you're not going to change your mind on me. So, and you got all these draft choices. Yeah. And he can build the team in the way he wants to build the team. So I think that's why Houston is appealing. I don't know what's going on in Denver. I don't have a sense of yeah. where they're going. I really don't. Is it David Shaw? Maybe. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it's going. I don't know where it's going to go. And then, you know, is it is it – and then Arizona, I don't, I don't get the sense that, that anybody knows. There's still conversations about Peyton in Arizona, although I find that really kind of – hard to understand because I think that that if knowing the Michael Bidwell's behavior on how he I mean Michael Bidwell you know Monty Ossendorf is the new offensive coordinator mm-hmm. is the new the general GM, manager yeah. right right so I think to me I think to me you know and I was told that the owner still has control over the 53 not the GM oh which is fine I mean that's mm-hmm. fine you know I'm not saying that's a bad job I'm just saying that's fine but I think that's the case and today both Bengals coordinators got slips put in them on them for the Cardinals. So that tells me they're not ready to go down the Sean Payton, I want $25 million a year road. Yeah, plus having to give up a draft pick as well to the New Orleans Saints to get Sean Payton to yeah. come over there. Uh, anything about this Harbaugh and Denver stuff? I mean, I know Harbaugh said he's going back to Michigan, but there was the report that came out that he went ahead and spoke with Denver just this past week. 
I think the owner flew in there. I mean, the longer this goes, they're going to revisit it, right? I mean, look, we know Denver's, uh, uh, it's a tough job. I'm not saying it's an impossible job. I think it's a tough job. So I, I think to me that that's kind of where it's going. And, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to have to sell it on what's happening. I didn't buy the stuff coming out that Sean didn't like to set up. I find it hard to believe. Everybody I've talked to about Penner who's talked to Penner, they've been very impressed. Mm-hmm. And Peyton came out and tweeted and said that the report was false and that he was really impressed by what the Broncos ownership group uh, did and when they had their meeting there. So, uh, yeah, this Denver job, I think it's going to be interesting to track. D'Amico Ryans to Houston appears to be what we're going to see coming in the next couple of days. But, Michael, let's take our final break. We'll get to the awards and give some early Super Bowl thoughts as well here on the GM Shuffle. All right, before we get out of here, let's hand out some hardware. Who needs to go on the lamb this week? You know, Femi, I think to me, when you when this is too hard to to go to the final four. There's no lamb teams here, but <laughs> I think the Niners have hard decisions to make. You know, I mean, they've got to answer the Purdy question. They've got to answer the the Trey Lance question. They've got to answer the Garoppolo question. They got to answer the quarterback question. I think that's going to be a hard off season for the 49ers because the, the 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 taste in their mouth from this game. Like, I'm sure they got on that airplane and left there and said, you know, we could beat that. T- we could have beaten that team today, but we just didn't have our team. Mm-hmm. And they got to make some really good decisions moving forward. And I think that's going to be the, that's going to make them decide and have a really tough offseason. The Fred Palermo best game plan of the week. I didn't get a sense anybody had a great game plan. Did you? No. <laughs> it, was I mean, a, it was a weird day of football. I, did anybody play great? Like, I, I didn't think there was – I thought Kansas City, like they always do, their script is great, but once they get away from the script, they kind of fail. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't like Cincinnati's game plan early. Like, they were – well, we had to change our protections. Like, you didn't know Chris Jones was going to be a problem going in that you couldn't block him. Like, I, I, I didn't get the sense that there was a lot of, you know, going on. I think Philly's adjustment would be the best one, that when they put Gamewell and gave him more carries, I think that was good. But I, I didn't get the sense that – None of the teams played their A game on on Sunday. Yeah, very weird day of football. If you don't know, now you know. I think Mahomes is tougher than the rest. I mean, I think the bastard's unbelievable. I mean, I don't know how the hell he did it, but th- let's not call it a high ankle sprain. Let's just call it somewhere of an ankle. Yeah, if you don't know, now you know he had a mild ankle sprain, not a high ankle sprain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> David Ogilvy Award, the biggest fraud. Well, I mean, we know this. I mean, we said it all week long, and I think it proven out to be true. I mean, that offensive line for the Bengals is fraudulent. And mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that, look, they got Lyle Collins. What are they going to do with him? I'm not sure Williams is a legitimate left tackle either. They, you know, Are they going to extend him out? I would have a hard time. But to me, if I'm the Brown family, I'm spending all my money on offensive linemen because the most important player in the building is the quarterback. And we got to mm-hmm. if, he's, if he's upright, we'll win a lot of games. Most definitely. And then finally, we have a Super Bowl now. We're down to two teams, Chiefs, Eagles, Glendale, Arizona, two weeks from now. This was an interesting one, though, from a betting market standpoint. It opened at around 7.05 p.m. West Coast time. Here at Circle, where we're sitting, Chiefs were two-and-a-half-point favorites. Within 14 minutes, the Eagles were then two-and-a-half-point favorites. It looks like we're kind of settled here. Eagles, two-point favorites, total coming at 50. But what did you make of the betting market? I I never understood that how... After watching those two games, Kansas City was like the boxer on the ropes that knew how to fight but couldn't fight anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought that – I said the million and everybody out there, I said, I, I mean, 
Cincy's going to win this game. Kansas City's got nothing left in the tank. So, you know, like I thought Philly would have been a two-and-a-half-point favorite. That's what I thought to start the, the starter. I think Philly's two-and-a-half. I said that in my head. When I woke up this morning and saw that they opened that the Chiefs were, I'm like, wow, I, I didn't get that at all. I did not get that at all. Because yeah. if you watch those two games, the Chiefs' offensive line is not as good as we think it is. If you watch those games, the Chiefs' defense we know is vulnerable. We know they're mm-hmm. vulnerable. Well, you can move the ball on the Chiefs' defense. The Chiefs outscore you. They don't stop you. Like, that is not a shut-you-down defense. You can make plays, especially if you've got receivers. And, you know, and then, uh, and then the fact that Mahomes is still not healthy. I mean, I'm just envisioning the Chiefs' run defense trying to slow down what the Eagles have. It's – that's going to be a tough one there for Kansas City uh, to see what they end up doing here. But these are the two best teams that we have to watch, and we'll obviously give our, our bigger thoughts on this game in the weeks to come here as we still have a couple of weeks to break it on down. But that does it for this week's edition of the podcast. Thank you to all the listeners and viewers. Thank you to DraftKings and VEASAN, our producer. Where's John Bowman. Lynch? Has anybody seen him? Anybody see John Lynch? Anybody seen him? <laughs> I think he's listening. I don't know if he's. I don't know if you can see him. Thank Where you. is he? I don't know. Wasn't he on the sideline? How do we not have a shot of him? I'm going to go look. I think he I'll was on the I'll talk to you on lamb. Thursday, fam. Yeah, I'm going to go look. <laughs> John Lynch was on the lamb during the game, funny enough. Uh, but thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman. Thank you to you, Michael. Good luck on your search for John Lynch. Let us know when you find him. I'm going to find him. I'll talk to you Thursday. John Walsh and I are looking for him. <laughs> 